This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hi there, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I especially want to greet all the new listeners, and there are a lot of you. Something has happened the last week or so, and, and I've picked up listeners from all over the world, certainly in the United States. By the way, California, you're leading the way at this point. <laughs> Not even my home state of Arkansas. But thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in private practice for 25 years in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And today we're going to talk about unconditional love. Of course, it exists, but my point in this podcast is that it can be used up. What is unconditional love? Well, it's being loved without conditions, without necessarily very specific expectations. Meaning, if I love you, I don't need you to be who I need you to be in order for you to continue receiving that love. But let's talk about expectations just for a second. We have expectations as a grocery store clerk. She or he will be accurate. They won't be too slow or too quick. They won't break our eggs. So how can we not have expectations or conditions on those we love? Now, when a healthy parent sees a child for the first time, that kind of unconditional love flows out of you. I remember well when it happened to me. But there are things that can use up even the healthiest parent's love. And what does a parent do in that situation? when their child is completely destroying themselves and seems to have an agenda to destroy their relationship. We're also going to talk about how that can affect the mother and father and their relationship because one usually takes a tough love side and the other is focused on fear, the possibility of what can happen if indeed they set a boundary. So we're going to be talking about unconditional love, and how it can be used up, as well as an email from a listener about medication and how long you have to take it if you have moderate depression. I'll answer her question, but remember, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a psychologist. So anytime you have medication questions, you really need to take them to your medical provider. I'll answer it to the best of my ability, given my stance as a psychologist. Whenever I hear the term unconditional love, I think of the first moment I saw my son. That's probably the purest love I've ever felt or ever will feel. All he had done so far was breathe and cry a little, and I loved him. Yet, unconditional parental love can be used up, worn away, and virtually destroyed. I know this because of some of the most difficult moments I've ever witnessed as a therapist, where there wasn't an actual death, but when a parent was agonizing over a child whose destructiveness and emotional manipulation was squeezing out the last drops of their unconditional love. By the time they were in my office, there had been years of lying by commission or omission, stealing, drug abuse, or prescription medication abuse, Disappearances and reappearances, emotional manipulation, multiple jobs, and just chronic chaos. 
maybe even continual, suicidal threats. To say these quote-unquote children haven't successfully launched is an understatement. They seem stuck in years of making a mess out of their lives and frequently blaming others, especially parents, for their plight. Now, certainly, there are many parents who do a poor job, a woefully inadequate job, of providing safety and a sense of being securely loved for their children. That's a fact. And a child can feel besieged by the instability and emotional onslaught of a parent as well. I do have an episode, a podcast episode on that very thing. It's called The Emotionally Abusive Mother. You might want to look it up. And it can take years for that child to understand that their parent isn't stable and it wasn't their fault that their mother or father wasn't and probably isn't there for them. That reality can make a child's path to adulthood very difficult and can leave emotional wounds that can only be healed with awareness, compassion, and time. But that's not always the case. There are parents that have actually been decent, good enough parents. They didn't expect too much or too little. They focused on letting their children be children. They were understanding and fairly mature. They provided safety and they worked together. Sure, they made mistakes, but the mistakes were normal and unintentional. Yet their children can still develop emotional and mental problems. She may have a diagnosable severe mental illness, like bipolar 1, which creates deep despondency and or chaotic highs, but she refuses treatment. She may be a drug user, and that's altering her personality, and her addiction is governing her every move. Her patterns of thinking and behavior may be distorted and dysfunctional, and her emotions and impulses may ravage through and control her, as in borderline personality disorder, or in many ways also narcissistic and histrionic personality disorder. If this is the case, then those children, even as adults, are going to really struggle. Parents are left to fight through the questions and find their own answers. The guilt can feel immense. What did we miss? What did we do or not do? To go from watching a toddler take his first steps to overhearing him make a drug deal, or vehemently claim that one more supervisor was after him is a long, extremely painful journey. And that pain can become unbearable. To give you an example of what I'm talking about, there are adult children who rage at their parents or get mad at their parents for some imagined slight, break into their house, and destroy sentimental things. There are adult children who steal from their parents, who try to manipulate their parents into giving them things that they don't give their other children because their need is greater. I hear about this all the time as a therapist. So in order to cope, in order to reach some kind of emotional balance for these parents, a necessary sense of detachment begins to happen. Necessary because continuing to unconditionally love that child, that adult child, will only end in sabotaging what's left of their own lives and the lives of their other sons and daughters, grandparents, and even other family members. Anyone can use up unconditional love. Anyone. Your spouse, your parent, or your child. It feels like a kind of emotional death. The death of dreams, the death of hope, the death of trust. 
since I wrote this post, for example, I've had emails from people who've said, thank you so much for writing this post because I fear that people look at me and the fact that I don't have a relationship with my daughter or my son and that something is terribly wrong with me, that I'm lacking in some kind of parental understanding or compassion, but that's not it. I gave and I gave and I gave and I finally figured out that my giving was almost enabling the problem. So what do these parents do? They love, but that love becomes very cautious and guarded. Just like in Al-Anon, their motto has to become detached with love. These parents recognize that their child, again, their adult child, is miserable, often leading a life that she or he recognizes in their core is far from what they dreamed. But they don't have the belief or the readiness to risk choosing another way of being. So what do you do? These same parents who've tried to love as well as they knew how have to set boundaries. They change the locks on their doors to keep their 28-year-old daughter from stealing or tell their 32-year-old daughter she's not invited home due to her continual emotional sabotage of every holiday. Or they cut off financial support from a 40-year-old son and realize he could turn out homeless. And they even feel better when that son is in prison because they know where he is. It can feel terrible. And again, there's very little cultural support for this kind of detachment, especially with a child, or as I keep saying, an adult child. Yet these are natural consequences for their now adult child's behavior. Setting boundaries can escalate the child's behavior initially, as he or she tries desperately to manipulate those parents into returning to a little or no boundary zone. Hopefully, the boundaries remain intact. But it's far from easy. And what happens when two parents, be they married or divorced, don't agree on what to do, and this is very, very common? A couple comes immediately to mind. His daughter had a severe alcohol problem and would call at all hours of the night or leave messages and then not pick up the phone, messages crying out for help or saying she was desperate. He would rush over to find her passed out in the bathtub or on the floor. His wife, her stepmother, had had enough as this had been going on for years. She would say, you have to stop. She has to confront this in herself. As long as she knows you'll save her, you'll fix it, she won't fix it herself. But he replied, and I'll never forget this moment in therapy and what this man looked like. But what if the one time I don't go is the time she actually dies? I could never forgive myself. The room got very still, and both of them looked at me as if I had the answer. I didn't. There was no good answer. There never is a good answer answer. What they did was they eventually met with this daughter after they had compromised on what he could stomach and what she could tolerate. They were trying to move ahead and move away from the pattern of saving this, I believe she was in her late 20s, child, and saving their own marriage. These parents feel a kind of pain that doesn't get written about. It doesn't go away. Way too often, there isn't a Disney ending to these stories. 
It can't be made pretty. And they're usually not the only ones suffering. Other siblings are suffering. Other people who have tried very hard to love these children whose either mental illness or personality disorder or drug addiction has led them to become people that can be vicious. Not all the time, which is one of the confusing things. They also can be wonderful and delightful to be with, but not when their illness, their disorder, or their addiction has them by the throat. What usually has to happen is that adult child has to reach his or her own bottom. And that, as a parent, as a sibling, as a grandparent, as a friend, can be agonizing to watch. If this is you or someone you care about is going through this, please reach out for some support from people like you. I realize, unfortunately, that these people are not out talking about necessarily what they've been through. They even isolate because they're too proud or simply too sad to talk about what's really going on. You can certainly seek out the counsel of a therapist. I assure you, therapists have heard these stories, many stories just like yours, and that could be healing for you. Today's email from a listener starts out, I've enjoyed your show since hearing you on Sorta Awesome. That's a great podcast, by the way. She has thousands and thousands of listeners and have recommended you to several friends. That's great. Thank you. Over 18 years ago, I was diagnosed with dysthymia or mild depression after the birth of our third child. My counselor said this was something that I probably always had, and I could definitely trace back things to my early childhood. He also mentioned I'd probably always have to take meds for this, and I've taken an antidepressant ever since. In the past few years, I've gone to an integrative doctor, which has been a wonderful experience, and she mentioned going off antidepressants. I have to say I've grown rather comfortable with them. If I ever forget to take one, I know right away, because when I fall asleep, my dreams are quite vivid. So what do you think? Is this a lifelong struggle, or one that I can gradually overcome and go off my medication? I no longer see a therapist and haven't in many years, so I'd appreciate your second opinion, Dr. Margaret. So here's my answer. Good morning. I want to thank you first for being a listener and sharing what you like with your friends. I'm honored. And I'm honored by all of you listening, by the way. Okay, first of all, I'm glad you're looking at all this again. The fact that you were diagnosed after the birth of a child makes me wonder if postpartum issues were considered. Perhaps 20 years ago, sadly, they were not. But you do say that you could connect with childhood losses or trauma. I'm not sure what you're referring to there, but for the therapist to say you'd never get over it? Again, I don't know what exactly may have existed, and perhaps your therapist was talking about some kind of strong genetic component. Sometimes it's important to give people the message that they have to manage an illness, that they're not necessarily going to get rid of it. And that can be something helpful to understand. But even managing it, for me, isn't the same at all as never getting rid of it. I'm uncomfortable with anything that might lead a person to feel helpless or victimized by their illness. All of that said, of course, you've relied on a medication. If it's a serotonin-based medication, then that's why your dreams go bonkers if you don't take it. Serotonin is highly involved in the sleep-dream cycle. 
and it can be a little scary to go off. What I've seen over the years is that sometimes there is a mild drop in mood right after, but that if you don't really need it, you'll do well. Of course, that also depends on whether or not you have established things in your life that help with emotional stability, like exercise, good friends, etc. Those will help you with or without medication. You also don't say whatever the childhood connections you made if you've resolved those struggles. That would be important. I'd suggest finding a new therapist, maybe one who specializes in EMDR or a more active approach, and try to see where you are with that trauma or where you want to be. Are you still carrying around things from the past? Are you living in the present? If you're happy, my guess would be the medication isn't the only reason you're doing well. But that's what you've got to tease out. If you're asking me whether or not that's worth it, you certainly might be curious to see what life is like without it. And of course, if something happened that alarmed you, you could go back on. Basically, what my message to this person is, is that Moderate depression, moderate anxiety doesn't have to go on for years and years. There are techniques and treatments that are very helpful. More severe, more chronic depression, more severe anxiety, yes. Sometimes those things have to be managed. But again, many times with the appropriate combination of therapy, medication, exercise, mindfulness, social connection, Those kinds of things can really help you feel better. I often use a metaphor for medication, and that is when you're depressed or highly anxious, it's like you're down at the bottom of a well. Sometimes you can see a little light at the top, and sometimes you can't. And then a rope gets thrown down the well. The rope is the medication. But you still have to climb that rope. (laughs) So yes, medication, when it works great, can give you enough fresh mental energy or enough calm to help you address problems that you're carrying around with you, but it won't do all the work for you. That's up to you. I want to thank some of you who've left a rating in the last couple of weeks. Thank you so much. And I'd invite others of you to do the same. It's highly motivating for me to get onto iTunes or wherever and see that three or four other people have left a rating. And I love reviews because that gives me more information about what you really appreciate about self-work, what you look forward to listening to. There are many ways that you can reach out to me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email, which I do answer and so many of you have written, is ask Dr. Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. That's confidential. I'm the only one who sees it, and I'll get back with you just as soon as I can. I'm on Instagram, on Pinterest, if that's something you enjoy, and I'd love to meet up with you there. Also, I have a Facebook page that's simply facebook.com slash drmargaretrutherford, and I post different kinds of articles I find interesting and relevant as well as my own work, both podcasts and blog posts. So I'd love to have you over on Facebook. And I do a good deal of Facebook Live videos as well. So again, thank you for listening. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.